0: the Better Golf Podcast, powered by Wind Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks.
1: What is up, everybody, and welcome back to the Better Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Aguiar, otherwise known on Twitter as Tee Off Sports. And I am joined, as always, by my partner, Nick Bretwish to celebrate not only back-to-back victories on Scotty Scheffler and Joaquin Neiman, but also the one-year anniversary of this show coming into existence. It is funny because the first private message I ever received from Nick was after I hit Max Home at the Genesis in 2021. Ironically, I had hit two winners in a row during that run, also after connecting on Daniel Berger a week before at Pebble Beach. But things have come full circle with us here after we both were able to go back-to-back and start 2022 on fire. Nick, I think it goes without saying that we know how to host a party in style, man.
2: Well, yeah, let's go and back to back weeks of the Hammer Kid coming through with Siwoo Kim and of course, Joaquin Neiman top 40 last week in addition to the outright. So yeah, one year anniversary of the show. I love it. Thanks again for uh, for everybody's support and Spencer for um, pretty much joining without a doubt, not knowing me or anything like that. Just kind of followed your work on Twitter. I was like. You know what? The industry needs a more informative golf betting podcast instead of just, you know, obviously people sharing their outrights and DFS plays is great. Love those shows as well. But I feel like, you know, we were one of the first to markets talking about top placements and actually finding pricing errors and stuff like that. So it um, seems like the communities agreed and really enjoyed the show. So thank you all that are listening and everything like that. Obviously, we wouldn't be here without your guys' support. And we do this, you know, for the love of the game and everything like that. But we love to provide information to people, too. So one year in the books, I'm excited to see where the show keeps going because it seems to be growing like a wildfire. And obviously, if we keep performing, it is our duty here is to provide insightful information. And I think we've been uh, doing a good job with that. But yeah, thanks to everybody. That's, I think the most important thing.
1: Yeah. I've said it before. The best decision I ever made was teaming up with you on this venture. Um, This has been a great experience. And, you know, as Nick said, one of the things we're trying to do is we come on here and and we want to give picks and we want to provide information, but it's more than just the providing the picks and, and all of that. We, want to give real data, real information, real line movements, all the things that are going to be credible and things that you can use over the course of time. And I, I always go back to this, but it's the reason why I release my spreadsheet every single week for free on Twitter, because I want people to be able to try to find information themselves and try to hit line movements before they happen. Because once you can get yourself in a position that you're making bets before the line moves and you're the one that can get behind it before any of that takes place, that's 90 percent of the game right there so we appreciate everybody tuning in every single week to listen to this show and uh without you guys nick and i wouldn't be able to do this but you know nick talk to me a little bit about your card last week at the genesis Uh, i know it was another big tournament for us all the way around but how many units did you end up when everything was said and done
2: yeah i don't know if i've been this hot in anything right now i even had a great college basketball night yesterday something i normally never bet but i was kind of just bored uh... Has a slow day at work, obviously, for President's Day, so just kind of attack the card there. But 16.22 units wow. in the positive, only risk 7.12. So, obviously, the Joaquin Neiman ticket helped a ton. Um, let's see what else. So the the top 40, obviously, I go quite heavy on the hammer each week. Did get a dead heat on Lanto Griffin top 40. Uh, I think it was tied 39th, but there were 40 people in there. Um, the bad what do we have here? Siwoo top 40. I was relatively high on that. And Seamus Power top 40. I was pretty high on him as well. But other than that, it was the week of Joaquin. Uh the Lanto helped a little bit. Did have a couple internment matchups I followed you on. But yeah, I mean the week of Joaquin Neiman, it was just awesome to see him go wire to wire. Um Jordan Speed top 10. I absolutely love the value I had on that ticket. I believe it was four and a half to one, maybe four plus four thirty. Um, seemed like a great ticket after day one. It was a positive cash out. I'm sure if you follow me on Twitter, I'm probably never going to take a cash out. I always like to, to mess with the people and just uh, it was funny that points but actually responded so they were uh, good good troops there Um, yeah I mean Spieth kind of fell apart on the weekend for me so that sucked but I- I'd go back to that spot again I had him priced at like three to one for that market so I mean he clearly showed the upside on day one day two kind of hung in there but just not a good weekend for Jordan Spieth
1: yeah not every single wager that ends up getting made that is a long-term value ends up winning I mean it's part of the market that As Nick said, if you gave him the bet a thousand times over, he's going to bet it a thousand times. And just in that one particular situation, speed didn't come through. So that's the nature of the beast when you when you gamble in general. And, you know, we're trying to locate value. But uh, it was one of those weeks for me where the classic saying of you don't need to be right every time to be successful. You just need to be correct once or twice when it matters truly came into play. Uh, one of the things Nick and I stress on this show when it comes to the construction or making a betting card is spreading your units out. The best way I would describe it would be as if every card is a stock portfolio. You never want to be too overweight to any one sector, and you always want to spread out your risk to various areas. When you have weeks like the waste management where everything hit for me, and you know for Nick last week, it seems like most everything hit for him, it turns into these random 15-unit explosions, but I always try to give myself as many outs as possible to find myself with a winning week. You do want the majority of your exposure to come inside of the head-to-head or placement markets. That's the easiest way to slowly build up your bankroll. But these outrights can create a massive boost when they hit. I was up nearly 10 units of profit on Joaquin Neiman alone when I took into account all the outright and first-round leader wagers I made. I unfortunately did drop back a little on the pre-tournament head-to-heads and placement bets. Siwoo and Sheamus were two of the ones that faltered for me. Uh the pre-tournament head to heads were not the greatest for me last week with it. Um ended up having a big ticket on Cameron Smith over Victor Hovland. that didn't end up coming in, obviously. And so when everything was said and done, it was plus 6.67 units uh for the week to move me to plus 24 units after the first two or after the two-week explosion we have had. But I really like how certain models for me are running this year, especially my in-tournament model, which Nick alluded to a little bit. I'm now fifteen, six, and five on that uh, on the year for nearly nine units of profit. So uh, those head-to-heads are always going to be what I am going to try to build my week off of when I'm hitting outright at the frequency I've seemed to be since we started doing this show a year ago. That is now twelve in like the last. I want to say. 30 something or 40 something tournament. So it's been a really hot run for me on that.
2: Hell yeah, man. I love to hear it.
1: Uh, Do you have anything else you want to add to that before we get into the board this week?
2: No, not really. I guess maybe the only other lesson, I don't know if it's a lesson, but we both didn't like love the card last week. And that was the least amount of units I've had at risk probably all year. Uh, I'd have to go check that, but I'm 99% sure it has been. So Mm. if you don't like the card, don't force it. You know, like I'm sure a lot of people had a great week at the waste management, especially if they listen to the show. Um, I, I know if people, I know a ton of my friends and some listeners had the Joaquin ticket as well. So, this week, I, it's a very light card for me. I do not have much in risk at all. As we stand right now, I have 4.4 units at risk, which is even less than I had last week, which was a very light week for me. Just don't force it. You know, you're know, you going to find your tournaments that you find a nice edge on. If you have an edge on this week, by all means, run it. But um, I think that's really my only lesson for today is I was very shocked with how light my card was last week. It was obviously very dependent on Joaquin Demon, so he kind of bailed me out with a win there. And how important outright tickets are sometimes but I'm usually not a big outright player. I'm more the the top 40s and the uh, the matchups especially the in-tournament I just kind of tail everything that Spencer says. I usually don't do handicapping on the weekend. That's more of a Spencer thing and I just follow cuz he's the expert at that. But that would be that'd be my uh, my two cents there is just don't force a card if you're a, you know, eight unit a week better, 10 unit a week better. Yeah, I don't think it has to be like, like, there should be no set in stone at risk that you're, you should be looking for, in my opinion, just make sure that you like the card, you find an edge and you go with it.
1: Yeah, I've actually said that a million times to people that have asked me about building outright cards or just cards in general, however you end up doing it. Is I think once you get stuck in this idea that you need X amount of units on outrights and X amount of units on head-to-heads and X amount of units on the placement wagers, I think that's where you run into problem because you end up forcing wagers that shouldn't be. And you know, on my card's gonna be very minimal this week, also. And you know, we're gonna take an easy week this week. Maybe next week it comes back up and we have double the plays with it. Like I never wanna limit myself or put myself into like a corner where I need X amount of plays for the week. So structure and discipline, that is the biggest thing that I think you can take away from this. Um, Hitting an outright every week is impossible, but we can put ourselves in a more advantageous position by finding value across the board in all areas. But uh, that will move us into the Honda classic this week. We have PGA national 7,140 yards par 70 Bermuda greens, I have a take on most coastal courses in general that I will get to shortly, but what did you see out of the venue and what did you end up weighing into your model?
2: So for me, obviously, everybody's going to talk about approach this week, ball striking. That's something that's very important to me. Um, bogey avoidance is something I kind of valued a little bit higher than I usually do and then um, just overall stroke scan on Bermuda. I think that's that's something that's going to play very true this week. But, yeah, just ball strikers for me in general. I do want positive putters. I don't think it matters a whole lot here. But if you're not striking extremely well, these greens are pretty big. So I feel like, you know, a guy like, uh, I don't know, who am I even thinking of for a, for a hot putter here? But, you know, like Patrick Reed, I don't know. He's been in terrible form. So terrible example. But guys like that that aren't hitting the ball extremely well but are making greens and can make big putts, I do want positive putters in my lineups this weekend and especially on my betting card. Cause you know, the water is going to come into play. I just, again, in general, I don't like this card a whole lot because you know, Brendan Todd, you guys saw that I kind of like him a little bit. Chris Kirk, it's great they could be sitting in 22nd go in the water and then the whole thing's gone so i'm gonna have very little at risk this week it's gonna be more of like a dfs week for me even then i don't really like it but we do have a special guest coming on here in a little bit to talk some dfs because i don't think spencer and i could talk very long about the betting card this week but yeah overall ball strikers for me i do like guys that can get it up and down around the green but i do look a little bit at putting more than i do this week and i don't think many people in the industry have uh, have mentioned anything about putting this week.
1: Yeah, I haven't heard it either. Um, so I think that's an interesting take with it. And and here's the thing about coastal courses from a modeling perspective. Iron play and total driving will always get an exponential increase in weight because of the penalty that results in being wayward. Uh, think of this being about the exact opposite of what we saw last week at Riviera, where errant tee shots and approaches could get bailed out by the ability to scramble. Now, you still need to have that ability to scramble here because a bogey can quickly turn into something very hideous that your golfer is going to be finished after a few holes if they end up imploding on it. But any real mistake is going to end up wet. There are 15 holes where water comes into play, 26 total water hazards in general that are littered throughout. And to make matters worse, there are also 107 sand traps. That has resulted in every cut line between 2007 to last year, ranging between one over to seven over par. And it's one of the pertinent reasons that PGA National has finished inside the top 10 tracks in terms of difficulty in 12 of the past 15 seasons. I will quickly run through my weights this week. I think what Nick said was very profound in the sense, and this is why I don't have a big top 40 card this week. You can have a guy that can play really well for three days and he dumps it in the water three times on Sunday and all of a sudden you lose that wager there. Uh, so, I would rather just try to approach this in a different way. But I started with four different strokes gain metrics that I looked at individually. The first was strokes gain total at difficult courses for 12.5%. That is going to take into account some of the bogey avoidance that I wanted more of in my model. It will also look at players that tend to like a venue that has more bite to it. I did 7.5% on strokes gain total in moderate to severe wind. I never like getting overly caught up in win statistics because they can be fluky over a short-term sample size, but I stretched the data back to over a year to get a better feel of golfers that have found success in more blustery conditions. I did 7.5% when it comes to strokes gain total at short par 70 courses. Some of this statistic naturally contradicts the difficulty portion because most people would think of a short par 70 as being simple, which I think the majority are. But while I don't love this metric in a vacuum situation, I did notice quite the rollover between players that have found success here and at other short par 70s. And then I ended that first portion with 10% on strokes gain total on fast Bermuda greens. Uh, That goes a little bit with what Nick was saying there. That's going to be a 75-25 split of strokes gain total on fast Bermuda and strokes gain putting on fast Bermuda. And then the rest of my version – Of what I put into my models, what I would consider to be normal when I make these models. I did 22.5% on a weighted tee to green that mimics PGA National. Uh, That is essentially a redistribution of off the tee, my weighted proximity totals between 125 and 200 yards and around the green. Weighted par 3 for 12.5%. Par 3 scoring has been the most impactful of the scoring ranges that we get this week. The real answer is going to be water, but I tried to look at the broad spectrum of ranges and attempted to mix together some of those weights. I did a weighted proximity plus bogey avoidance for 10%. 65.1% of second shots take place from 125 yards and beyond, and 11 holes present an 11% bogey or worse rate. The ability to control your mid irons and blustery conditions will be what is needed most to take on this course. I have 5% on stand save percentage that goes with the 107 bunkers. And then I wrapped it up with 12 and percent on ball striking. That was a 50-50 split of distance and accuracy to form total driving. And then a 30-70 split of total driving versus GIR percentage to come up with my ball striking totals. Top five of that model produced Sung J M, Im, Louis Ustazen, Daniel Berger, Shane Lowry, and Joaquin Neiman. Daniel Berger was the number one player when I looked at this from an upside perspective, but... Thoughts on any of that before we get into bringing on our special guests this week to discuss the board from a DFS perspective?
2: No, I mean, I, I just take notes the whole time you talk. And that's another thing, too, when we were talking about the anniversary of the show. I just think I've gotten so much better at betting golf just um, from listening to you and all your breakdowns and using your model to give that a little shout out again. It is free on Spencer's Twitter at T-Off Sports. Well, having said that, let's get into a little bit of DFS because our betting cards are going to be light. We'd like to welcome on the FSWA 2020 DFS Writer of the Year and the stud from RotoWire, Len Hochberg. Len, how are we doing tonight? Doing
0: very well, guys. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Uh, Let's try and stay dry this week.
2: (laughs) We're just talking about the water, that's for sure. So um, overall, what are your thoughts on this tournament? We were kind of talking a little bit internally here of the, the last two tournaments we liked a lot from a DFS perspective, a little less lighter on our betting card last week, but we were all over Neiman. But in terms of DFS, it's kind of Stars and scrubs, in my opinion. So it's pretty tough to build a lineup, especially when ownership is so spread out this week.
0: Yeah, it's a challenging week. It's really one of the weeks where, you know, DFS is all about finding guys who are going to make birdies. You know, we know birdies are worth more than bogeys are a detriment and even worth more than double bogeys are a detriment. But you got to make the cut. You got to get your six for six through. And guys who find the water, who spray it all over the place, they're going to have a harder time. So I definitely look for guys who are, um, you know, conservative. Uh, And, you know, because a lot of guys, when they just miss the fairway with their drives, they're going in the rough. And the modern player, it's not that hard uh, for them uh, with the technology of the clubs and things. But if they miss the fairway and go in the water, well, that's a little bit more problematic. So uh, it's really a challenging week. And I was thinking about today before coming on that we, we sort of root for carnage. We root for, to see them all go in the water. I mean, not our guys, but other people's guys, um, you know, it just seems like doesn't seem very nice, but, but uh, it's a nice, it's definitely a change from the West coast.
1: Yeah. I, I would agree with that. It's nice to get these different tournaments. And first off, Len, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you coming on our show to talk about the Honda classic uh, Nick alluded to this a little bit, but you know I respect your work a ton, and I know the industry feels the same way with you having a chance to go back-to-back this year when it comes to being named FSWA's DFS Writer of the Year. Regardless of what happens there, uh, winning it last year and being named a finalist again is a massive accomplishment, and I wish you the best of luck on that. But with you being one of the big names in this space, I want to start off by talking about some of the bigger names playing this event it definitely is a more watered down field than we have had the past two weeks, let's say, but is anyone near the top of the board that you are liking from a DFS perspective? Let's call it from the $9,000 and above range.
0: Yeah. And thank you. Very kind of you. It's yeah, it's been just uh, a, a, very, a surprise to find out I was nominated again. And actually it's this Thursday, two days from now, it's going to be on the serious XM channel. All the nominees find out if they win. So um we'll see my, like Miss America, my reign could be coming to an end. Um, but um, yeah, there are, uh, there are some guys. That, I mean, there are so few good players in this tournament. I think we, and, and we have to look at some of the the top names and it's going to be hard to separate them from high ownership and none bigger than uh, Sung J.M. You know, it seems like, I mean, he's looking maybe 25% ownership, maybe more. I mean, he is, Just perfect for this course in this tournament. I mean, he's really a boring golfer. And I say that with all due respect. I mean, he just goes from point A to point B as economically as possible. And um, this is the week for that. I mean, we saw him win two years ago. And he was eighth last year. He's first or second in bogey average and bogey avoidance on tour this year. He's one of the top guys, T to green. I guess if you were looking at one stat this week, it's got to be T to green. The last four winners led the field in T to green. So, you know, I like him. I like him a lot. Um, Probably going to be my one and done play. I mean, it's too early in the season to start trying for me to figure out who's picking that and stay away from him you know, and, and stuff. I'm not going to get too cute this early. Uh, Billy Horshel's another guy. And I'm really encouraged by Billy Horschel because he played well on the West coast, not his favorite. He loves his Bermuda. He gets four wins on Bermuda. Um, but he was, um, Played well at Phoenix and uh, played well. He didn't play Riviera, but he's had a couple of good weeks uh, at, the, at the end of the West Coast. So they're, they're at the top of my list, Sung at 11, which also, by the way, is about as low as a top guy price as we'll see. 11-2, 11-6, 11-7. So 11 is, a little, I don't want to say cheap, but yeah. And Billy Horschel, certainly nice at 9,600.
1: Yeah. Billy Horschel is one of the guys I've noticed is taking a lot of sharp money in the betting market. He's fourth in my model this week from a safety perspective. And uh, Sung Jm is number one for me overall. So, I, I mean, I'm definitely in agreement with you on those two plays there.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard, it's hard to stay away. You know, people, um, you know, sometimes they ask, you know, if, if the guy is so popular, do you stay off of him? And it seems to me, if you really think a guy is going to win, then you gotta play him. I mean, certainly in DFS, there are 143 other guys. There's five other spots on your lineup. You can get separation and differential from you know, if you know if you think Sung Jm is going to be there, then then by all means play him.
2: While we're talking about the studs here, Len, what are your thoughts on Daniel Berger? I think I'm personally just a fanboy, so I'd love to hear you say good things about him. But is he a fade for you? I guess a fade candidate this week, or like would you rather go to Neiman? up to Louie or go down to even Brooks per se, or just avoiding that 10 K range and just jamming in Sanjay. Cause I totally understand that there's, i tried to find a way to be like, all right, Sanjay's not worth 25% ownership. Uh, I think he's probably worth 30 or 35 now that I look mm. at it. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, Joaquin Neiman, I, I was out at Riviera last week, got to see a little bit of him play. Uh, it was great fun. I'm kind of thinking that the celebration might just be wrapping up now on. Uh, so I, I don't know how ready he'll be for Tuesday. And he really he said it was so grueling, you know, having the lead the whole time, which I guess when you think about it could be harder than coming from behind just on the last day. And you just it just weighs on you. So I don't know if he's going to he's going to be ready to play. And Brooks, I mean, who knows when he's going to be ready to play? I would think I, I wanted to think that he was going to try this week because he's a local and he sort of. Screwed the tournament, he didn't really screw the tournament, but he had a withdrawal last year because of injury. Um, so he might've let them down. Plus they let his brother in the field, um, you know, and I know they want a Kepka to make the cut, but they a specific one they would like. Um, <laughs> so, but I did, that's a roundabout way of, of getting to Berger. And it's all about his injury. We we don't really know. I mean, we never know fully with golfers, like in other sports, what their injuries are. He missed the cut when it, pebble and he didn't i have mean, at phoenix and didn't play riviera so presumably he's had a couple of weeks to rest um but if he's in good form i mean he's another boring guy very low bogey numbers good greens and regular t to green numbers had a good, good course history here i mean other than the injury he really checks off all the boxes and and probably sung jay is taking a lot of uh you know of the weight away from him. So I, mean, I don't feel sneak in, but yeah, I like him.
1: Yeah. I think that's a really good point that you brought up. Cause like when I looked at this from a statistical perspective, Daniel Berger, um, like, so the way I run it is, is everybody gets a grade to them, like a weight that's attached to them. Mm-hmm. And he was twice as good as anybody else in this field from a statistical perspective. He was inside the top 15 of pretty much every single number that I ran this week. Uh, which was by far and away the top player in this field. So I think that you bring up something interesting. If everybody's going to go to Sungjae, we might see a little less ownership on Daniel Berger. And it's just going to come down to how much risk you're willing to take on because we don't know where his back is at right now. But, uh, you know, if he brings his best form to this tournament, I don't think it would shock anybody if he walked out as the winner.
0: No, not at all. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. And uh, and it actually would be kind of fun to see the two of them uh, going down to the wire at, uh, on Sunday. Um, yeah, it's it, it just is back, And uh, but he, he's done. He came close here before. He came close here in 2015, and he was actually pretty good last year in 2015. The, when you do well a few years ago at this tournament, the fields were much stronger than they are now. This tournament has really been hammered by the, the fall schedule, the wraparound season, the uh it, it's really been heard as much as any tournament. Uh and it's interesting because Honda is such a been around forever. You think they would get a little more oomph for their buck. They've been around since 1982 as the sponsor of this event.
2: Wow, especially at PGA National, too. Such a fun track to to watch on TV. And I feel like these guys that love to compete would definitely want to come out here. Um, but in we talked about the top end a little bit. In terms of values, let's say 7,500 up to that 9K range. Is there anybody that screams off the page i know me personally looking at the ownership projections I, I like to play quite contrarian especially when i'm playing in single entry obviously i'm, I'm likely to jam sunjay in that main lineup but guys like aaron wise at 15 i get it he's a great ball striker cameron young coming off a great week these guys that are in like the mid upper, t- upper tier if you will around 15 ownership is there any reason to fade them or who do you like in this price range
0: yeah, I, I do. There are some guys and I did put Aaron Wise in my column, but if, if his ownership is going to be high, I don't like him that much like a Sung Jae where you just put some other things aside and and get him in your lineup. I mean, there's certainly more question marks about uh, Aaron Wise. Um, you know, I, I, I was I mean, looking over everything. I, I, a couple of names or at least one name sort of surprised me, and that was Jonathan Vegas who I don't go to very often. And I always, whenever I do the two or three times, I always have to check the spelling of his name. <laughs> um, uh, but he's 8,500. He's had a good history here. He's made eight of nine cuts. Of course, 8,500, we just can't be happy with it, with the made cut. He's had three top 16s. He's also just outside the top 25 in the T, t- to green, strokes gained T to green this year. So uh, surprisingly a decent uh, numbers for him uh Taylor Moore at 79 one of the more uh one of the top corn ferry grads i think he's like fifth or sixth in the in, in the reshuffle he's had five top 25s already including Riviera so a lot of these guys we see them they they come out from the corn ferry and they have good fall seasons and then when the big boys come back after the new year that's the last we hear of them well he's still hanging around he had a top 25 at Riviera and at Pebble Um, so those are two guys above, um, 7,500 and oh, I guess at 7,500, Chris Kirk, for some reason, he's got the best strokes game T degree numbers of his career. Um, I don't know why, but it just shot up this year. He was 14th in Phoenix. Um, another guy, kind of a boring, get it down the fairway, get it on the green, you know, maybe won't win, but these are, you know, the foot soldiers we need in our lineup, especially if we go to 11,000.
1: Yeah. Kirk and, and Vegas are two of my favorite plays in this tournament. And one of the things I like to do is, is I take the strokes game data. So like when I look at T to green numbers, I want to try to mimic a property to be, or to mimic a model to, uh to look at a property and not, you know, just a generic total of it. And Chris Kirk was a player for me that graded second overall when looking at that strokes gain T degree metric with it. Uh, I think that that's a great find there. And then Jonathan Vegas is eighth for me when it comes to total ball striking. So I think those are two guys that have a little bit more win equity than a lot of people might think this week. And yeah, they're going to be popular, but I think you can get unique and find other ways to make a build uh, with them included in it.
0: Yeah, I mean, are the numbers showing that Vegas and Kirk are going to be? I could see Kirk, but Vegas too is is going to is going to get high ownership.
1: Uh, right th- now, my model has fourteen point eight percent on Vegas and thirteen point seven percent on Kirk. Well, That's knowledge. not
2: a bad number on Vegas. So I think most people, when they just look at it blindly, are going to take the savings on Aaron Wise. So I I love Vegas as a pivot off of Aaron Wise, at least in in the apples to apples perspective there.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that also. And Len, let me ask you another question here, because I always like to try to keep things about as broad and open as possible because different contests will produce varying ownership percentages. But do you have a few fade candidates you can discuss with us uh, throughout the entire board?
0: Uh, I do, I do. And sometimes they're not really fades. I always get I get asked about fades and sometimes they're just, well, I just don't like them that much. But but Tommy Fleetwood, I know we're talking DFS but when i looked at the the draftkings sports book i mean i haven't looked since yesterday but he was 14 to 1 he was the number 2 guy when it opened behind sung jm and i'm like what what uh, year is this what did i miss here um you know so I, I just don't see um you know he's 43rd in the world now and if i think if we just took his pga tour results and not his european results i don't know if he'd be in the top 100 I mean, he got into this tournament in the one twenty-six to one fifty category. This is Tommy Fleetwood, one fifty in the world. He had um, so I just don't get it. And you know, even though he had a, th- a third and a fourth year in the last few years, um, he's just not the same player he was. Plus, he's never won here, and I, and I think that counts for something. And you know, the guys who don't win, they don't win for a reason. There's you know, if they've been around a while. So yeah, I'm just not. Um, Seeing much there, and and actually, um, you know, Kepka. I'm probably going to stay away from. I'm probably going to stay away from Kepka most times, which is probably not smart to just make a blanket statement. But I think I'm going to be right more than wrong, and there will be times I'm wrong. And I was wrong at Phoenix. He was he was in the mix, and another guy who is kind of alarming to me is Patrick Reed. Um, you know, he his, he's all about his short game. Last year he was seventh on tour in strokes gained around and fourth in putting. And that's how he has to win. That's how he has to compete. And it's great. It's, you know, whatever you think of him, it's fun to see him do that as a golfer and as a golf fan, but he is 68th in both strokes gained around and putting, and he's dead in the water then. I mean, he's averaging 285 off the tee. So I don't see, you know, his numbers are starting to go down. He's, um, Somewhere in the eights uh, this week. I don't have it in front of me, but um, I, don't, I, I don't, you know, I know sometimes people play guys if there's a name or something that might trigger them. It's not the best way to bet. It's not the best way to play, but, but he's certainly a known guy. And and I would caution people that there's just something off with him right now.
1: I agree with you with that. Uh, Nick and I were talking about this a little bit off the air that if you're trying to find a leverage position, I think there's better ways to do it than Patrick Reed He's 114th in my weighted T to green model. Uh, he's 103rd in weighted proximity plus bogey avoidance, 107th in total driving and 116th in ball striking, which just adds the GIR percentage to the mix with it. So uh, if the short game is not going to be good and everything else has been just about as bad as it's ever been for him, um, I think there's other ways you can go. And I I understand he's not going to be very popular, but he's not a guy I want anything to do with this week either.
0: And, and it really started for him. You know, he had the pneumonia, whatever you want to call it, toward the end of last season, right around the time they were naming the Ryder Cup team. But his slide started before that. And obviously it's, um, well, I don't want to say he should be long over it because I don't know what happened to him. But but I will say the slide predated the uh, the illness.
2: Awesome. All right, Len, last question for you, then we'll let you get out of here. Anybody, anybody under 7K that you're interested in playing or are you trying to just build more of a balanced lineup?
0: You know, I, I will have some balance, but I will have some guys under under seven and um, a couple of guys I'm looking at. And um, this guy played a corn ferry event last year, so I'm not sure where I'm going with this. But Mark <laughs> Hubbard is sixty nine hundred, which isn't bad for someone who was playing the corn ferry event last week. Um, you know, he's played this tournament a bunch. He's missed only one cut in five starts. He did have a DQ a few years back. I don't know uh, what happened there. Um, he's another guy, a low bogey guy, um, you know, and, and decent strokes gained T degree numbers this year, uh, 63rd. And, you know, that doesn't sound great, but of course when we're in the 6,000s, that, that's hall of fame material for those guys down there. Uh, and he was sixth last week, Ben on won the tournament in Florida. He was playing in Florida, presumably on Bermuda. Uh, and uh, the field was significantly worse. And also Hayden Buckley, one of the Corn ferry guys, um, he's actually played this tournament before. He was in it a couple of years ago. Wasn't great, made the cut, but also very straight. 17th driving actu- accuracy, 28th greens in regulation, 35th in strokes game, tee to green, all really good numbers. they Granted, his numbers have gone down, like we were talking earlier, once the calendar flipped and some of the better players started coming back, but just trying to find something there and he's he's 6,600.
1: Yeah, when you get these guys in the $6,000 range, you're just trying to find something because they're all going to have red flags to them. And you can just find a couple of things that stick out. And for Mark Hubbard specifically, inside the top 20 of my model in stand safe percentage, weighted proximity plus bogey avoidance. Uh, He's seventh in my model and weighted par three scoring. And then even if you look at all the recent stuff from him uh, last 24 rounds approach, he's 14th. He's also 14th in strokes gained around the green over his last 24 rounds and uh, 24th strokes gained T to green over his last 24 rounds. So there's a lot you can find with him that is going to show that he has upside to uh, find success in this tournament and I think that we've always seen from Hubbard, anytime he can get these shorter courses, this is where he comes into play and can be a threat in these contests.
0: Yeah, and he's putting pretty poorly so far this year, but he's putted better in the past. And, um, you know, that's, uh, of all the, the numbers you were giving, you weren't talking about putting. So if he can putt just a little bit, uh, you know, he can, uh, I don't know, top 40, bordering on maybe better than that, you know, certainly get to the weekend.
1: Yeah. He was one of the guys that did not make my top 40 card. That is one of the players I'm still looking at. I think that there's a lot of, uh, I mean, we're calling it upside because he's a $6,900 golfer, but for him, that that's upside. If he can give you a top 40 in this tournament, that's a very good finish for him.
0: Hey, I think he I think he'd be very pleased, especially since he was playing corn Ferry event last week.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that.
2: Awesome. Well, thanks a ton. Len, where can everybody find you on Twitter?
0: Uh, I am at Len Hochberg, L E N H O C H B E R G, at Twitter, and uh, you know I'm with writing with Rotowire. Uh, I've been with them for about eight years now. Just started a podcast with Jason Sobel over on the Action Network, so it's a, it's an exciting time for me, and uh, and this this just added to it, hanging out with you guys for a little bit.
2: Awesome. Well, thanks a ton for coming on, Len, and keep up the great work. We are big, big admirers of your work, and uh, hopefully we could be like you in the industry someday.
0: Right back at you. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Take care.
1: Thank you, Len. Good luck this week on the FSWA. Thank Thank you. So that was great. I really appreciate Len joining us to break down the board at the Honda Classic. His work speaks for itself. As he said, uh, if you aren't doing so already, please follow him at Len Hochberg. Um, he's at the top of the game for a reason and puts out quality content every yep. single week.
2: Yep. As one of my must listens to on uh, Sirius XM every week when he uh, does a feature on the Fancy Sports channel. So I am pumped that he got to join us. That was awesome.
1: Yeah, that was a lot of fun. But all right, man, let's uh, move ourselves into the placement wagers then. And unfortunately, I don't really have much to talk about this week, as always. Please feel free to write Nick or I on Twitter if you want to discuss any of the head-to-head matchups you may have access to. I know we have both gotten a handful of responses from you guys mentioning how successful your weeks have been going, and we always love to hear about the wins, but uh, I guess start us off this week. There's only one play for me. I know we're on the same thing, so whichever order you want to go in with this, it's up to you, but uh, I'll let you give the first name here. Either I will tack on to that or or I'll mention that guy and then I'll let you run through the rest of the board.
2: I'll start with an aggressive one on the same guy because Len just talked about him. It is our boy, Chris Kirk. I will mention the top 20. At plus 320 on FanDuel. I just love the love everything about Chris Kirk. He fit my model so well. I know he fit yours even better. Um, solid form, 14th at the Waste Management for a course I really didn't think would fit him that well. Uh, if it does get windy, this guy could play in the wind too. So like, I don't see much downside at all. Obviously, the the water's a downside for anybody if they find it. But Chris Kirk, my boy this week, um, and the Hammer Kid GIF play of the week in the top 40 market that I'll let you talk about right now.
1: Yeah. I talked to you a little about this. Chris Kirk is a bad web Simpson to me. That's what he is at this point. I love he's Webb a better, Simpson.
2: better web Simpson.
1: Yeah. Let's not get carried away with that, <laughs> but he's a player that my model likes every single week, no matter where he's priced. When he was an $8,000 goal for a couple tournaments ago, I thought he was undervalued. And now we have him in a tournament that's weaker than any of those events really. And he's a Golfer that's in the mid $7,000. So I think he's playable across the board. But uh, what is Nick's Hammer Kid GIF play of the week is Chris Kirk top 40 at plus 125 on FanDuel. I love where his game has been trending over the past few starts. He's gained T to green in his last eight. We have seen him average plus 1.56 off the T over his last five and plus 1.04 around the green in his past eight. He has gained with his Irons in two straight starts. Uh, Kirk has always been a positive putter on Bermuda, and he tends to excel on these bogey avoidance type tracks. I mentioned this on the Action Network show that uh, we do our placement wagers for, but think Sony Open, where total driving and avoiding mistakes will come into play. Second in my way to T to Green stats, and um, that is alongside Berger, Kepka, Harmon, and Sung Jay As the only five players in this field to grade inside the top 33 in all of those categories I looked at this week, I think Kirk is the best play that I can find on the board. He's the only one that I put a top 40 in as of this moment. Uh, Len mentioned Mark Hubbard. He's on the short list of somebody I'm going to be looking at. Uh, Sepp Straka at plus 150 is another name that I'm still considering right now. And uh, I guess before I throw it over to you to to round out the card, uh, thoughts on Straka and do you have any thoughts on ryan armor at i believe it's plus 290 to come top 40
2: i like armor i had him priced uh what do we got here so plus 270 so there's about 20 points of value there i usually like to kick a ticket when it has 30 points of value and who was the other guy you talked about straka yes um. I, yeah, he grades out pretty well. The only place that he's losing or expected to lose strokes for for my model is a little more pre, or tries to be predictive. I should say is around the green. So that's something that's rather important here. But the approach is solid. Off the tees, not bad at all. Shouldn't get in a lot of trouble. I think that Sepp's one of the the safer golfers out there. I like him a lot, and he's usually pretty good on tough tracks, isn't he?
1: Yeah, and he's been good at this tournament, or at least relatively good at this tournament over the last two years. Uh, I believe both of them are top forty finishes that he's produced. So. That's where I'm at right now. We'll see what happens with those three. Those are the three that I I just didn't like. I don't want to come on this show and mention people that I don't actually have a ticket on at this moment. We might get there before this week is done. But as of this moment, Chris Kirk was the only one that I could justify punching a ticket on. So uh, stay tuned on Twitter. You can follow me at T off sports. I I always try to release the plays when I have anything with it. So uh, maybe you'll hear a Hubbard or a Straka come out over the next few days, but Wrap this up for us, Nick, in the placement market and go through everything that you have.
2: Yeah, I think just again, kind of touched on what we uh, mentioned earlier in the show is just we're not forcing a card this week. Spencer's only got one top placement market. I think that's the least I've ever heard you have. And I only have three. So the other one for me is Brendan Todd, top 40 on FanDuel at plus 160. The guy's in really good form, two straight top 30 finishes and fields that I believe are significantly stronger than we have here. Iron plays excellent, solid ball striker. He's great on Bermuda. Again, I just can't have him blow up in the water or the sand, but I think this is an excellent spot for him. He hasn't played here in a long time, too, so I kind of look into that. Like He likes where his game's at, thinks he can compete, so I like Brendan Todd a ton. The Hail Mary play of the week, which is, again, something that's just disgusting and probably unlikely to hit, is going to be Brendan Todd top 10 at um, 8.5 to 1 on FanDuel. And then the last top 40 play for me, a guy it seems like everybody's starting to talk about his ownership's getting up there in DFS. I wanted to ask Len about him, but I forgot to. Is Aaron Rye top forty? Is plus one thirty-five on FanDuel? A guy that's great in windy conditions. If it gets that way, love where the form is at and love where the ball striking is at. I feel like this is just a good spot for him. I had him priced at plus one hundred, so thirty-five points of value there. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Brendan Todd, Chris Kirk, and Aaron Rye for me. I did have a little bit of a lean on Russell Knox top twenty, but we've we usually don't like to say this, uh, his name on this show after what happened last year. How many times Knox let us down? But yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Brendan, Todd, Kirk, and Rye.
1: Do you have any concerns with Rye on DraftKings at twelve and a half percent? Are you fine with that price or that no, ownership? No,
2: I uh, I wanted to find a way to fade him, but he has won on on the Euro Tour, so like he knows how to win a tournament, which is something I want to see. And I know he was in the. Uh, in the running there at the Farmers, I believe was a tournament that he was tearing up, right? Um, so I don't know. At twelve percent ownership, though, you know how I feel about mid to low tier chalk. I think I'd probably have to fade him. And then looking at it right now, Austin Smotherman is close to ten percent ownership at six point eight k. I think I'll bail on both of them if I had to. But yeah, Ry is gonna be tough. I think I will lock him into my cash line just because I do think he's very safe. But my exposure to him is gonna be that uh, top forty market. I. If he finishes top 20, he's going to be an excellent DFS value. So I'm not sure I want to fade him just for the ownership there, but Smotherman for sure. Just while we're talking about low price chalk, I, I I know he's a great ball striker, but no, not for me.
1: Let me just throw out a couple other guys from the DraftKings perspective, since we do have such a minimal card with these uh, placement wagers thoughts on Gary Woodland at 8,200. He's a guy who's caught my eye. I don't really know what I want to do with him. Uh, Christian Bezade and how 8,000, Both of those guys are going to be between 10 to 15% ownership.
2: I'm seeing Woodland down closer to five to seven. So if that happens, you know, I'm a a Woodland truther. His game just hasn't looked really that good. I know he had a couple good rounds at the waste management, but I want to see him put it together for a full weekend. But at 8,200 in this field, in terms of like pedigree and, and outright equity, I think Gary Woodland would be my guy there. Christian Bez. It seems like a perfect course for him. You know, you don't really need to be a long hit. Distance does help if you can, you know, place it in the right spots, like you said, with total driving. And we talk about Johnny Vegas, but I think Gary Woodland would be my preferred of the two, and especially if that ownership's gonna go below like eight percent. I know earlier in the week it was pretty high up there, but Woodland seems sharp at the books too when looking at his prices.
1: Yeah, he was uh fine on all the offshore books I was looking at. He was a favorite in all the matchups, and that's always a positive with it. And uh, Nick and I were talking a little bit off air, which is I would say discouraging because I I do have an outright ticket on Aaron wise coming up shortly here. And if I, if I could get it back, maybe I would, but you know, wise is a guy who's a massive underdog against Cameron young. And I don't necessarily think this is the greatest Cameron young course. Uh, I would rather put him on a venue where he can bomb away and hit his long irons. But uh, I know you've talked about wise a little bit, that you're probably not going to be on him. Um, Russell Knox, I'm in agreement with you. My model loves him. It always loves him at this tournament. And uh, when just dating it back to 2017, we're looking at miscut, miscut, 51st, miscut, miscut. That's probably the results I've gotten on him anytime I've ever actually placed a wager on him also. So that looks pretty accurate from what I would be expecting with it. Uh, That's probably it for me, though, unless there's anybody else that you want to discuss.
2: No, let's hit some outrights. Uh, But I guess Keith Mitchell at 22% owned. What do you do there?
1: if he's going to be 22% owned, he can beat me. I'm fine with it. Like I know that there's sharp money coming in on him and that's fine. I think his game's in a good spot right now. We've had, what is that? Four top 12 finishes in his last five tournaments. (laughs) He's good. (laughs) Yeah. And he's always going to be good on Bermuda. Like anytime you can give him a Bermuda track, he's going to be better than what he, he would be someplace else. So this is a very good venue for him, but he's volatile. And we see that, I don't want to make this be the same exact example because it's it's two completely different scenarios. Aaron Wise, a couple of weeks ago when we were mentioning that we didn't like him at $7,200, uh, he was you know 15% owned. He was 90th in my model. This is not the same spot. This is a $9,100 golfer who's 21st in my model, who might be a little bit overvalued on the surface, but it's not so much so. But with all of that being said, if we look at his course history here, 53rd miscut first, missed cut. This is a tournament where water is so in play for every single player. And that's what worries me is any golfer at any moment can end up missing the cut because of two bad shots. You know, that's all it's going to take is if you're hovering around that cut line and you hit a couple bad shots in a row, you are out. And that's my concern is I think any of these really chalky plays, you have to at least be hesitant on because Unless you're going to be an elite total driver of the ball or elite with your proximity ranges, you're going to run into some sort of problems uh, potentially.
2: I think I'm going to be out on Keith Mitchell. That is my stance, and I will stick to it this week. Hopefully it doesn't kill me. But uh, let's get some outrights and let's get out of here.
1: Let me just mention one more thing that I want to throw out there. Um, Here's a head-to-head that I like this week, uh, and it is Jonathan Vegas minus 115 over Mito Pereira. You can find that on Bovada. You might be able to find it similar elsewhere if you shop around, but that number is as high as -167 on a site like Pinnacle. Uh, Vegas is one of my favorite plays on the board this week. I think I might argue that he is my favorite play on the board this week, but do you have any thoughts when it comes to those two matched up against each other?
2: No, I uh I'm I'm with you 100%. I love Johnny Vegas. I love that Lund talked about him too. The ownership's not going to be crazy crazy high. Um, don't love the price at 8,500, but again, we talked about this field. So it warrants that. Yeah. I I'm all things go on, uh, on Johnny Vegas. I think there's an excellent track for his type of game.
1: Yeah. And Bovada's is very slow to move a number. If you do have access to that book and, and they don't have the biggest limits in the world, which is probably why they take longer to move things. But even with them, I would assume that number is going to move before long. They are so off compared to where the rest of the market is in Vegas. As I said, is one of my favorite plays this week, but, Uh, Let's wrap this up in the outright section. So I'm going to start this. This is a real easy segue here. I like Jonathan Vegas at 60 to one. There are some issues he possesses both around the green and out of bunkers, but I love the ball striking upside. He's averaged 4.08 strokes tee to green over his past 13 starts. I took Aaron Wise at 50 to one. This initially opened at 66 to one. I wish I would have gotten that number. Um, I ended up getting in on this a little bit later at 50 to one. I have some hesitation. If you can't tell with it, maybe he ends up winning this tournament and I'm going to have the tickets. So I'm not going to get out of it at this point, but uh, wise has been a coastal specialist throughout his career and the improvement with the flat stick might be enough for him to reach the next level at PGA national. He has gained with his putter of, in five of his past six starts and he ranks fifth overall in my weighted T to green category. That looks at course specific data. That is the one thing that I am holding on to for why can for why Wise can find success here. Uh, I wouldn't play this lower than fifty to one. I still think at fifty to one there's a little bit of value. It's just it's going to be a very volatile wager. Um, and more of the hesitation, I guess, would be the best way to put it of why I don't want the play. There is somebody that I really am trying to figure out a way to get a ticket on that I kind of bulked up my card and I don't want to be overexposed. I'll get to that at the end. But uh, Jonathan Vegas, 60 to one. Aaron Wise, 50 to one. Third one is CT Pan, 70 to one. I don't think I've ever backed Pan before in any market, but he was one of my largest climbers when I condensed the data down to certain areas. Top 50 in weighted T to green. Third place at this venue in 2021. And a top 10 in his last start at the Genesis. I took Brian Harmon at 40 to one. It's very similar spot here, as I mentioned with Aaron Wise, as far as the movement movement goes with it. Uh, he opened at 50 to one and has since been bet down to 40 to one. I wouldn't play it lower than this, but if you can find a better price, definitely shop around with it. He's one of just five players to grade inside the top 33 in all categories I attached to weight. I mentioned the other ones earlier, so I won't get into that again, but I do think Harmon has upside here. He's going to be a little volatile, but that's fine for an outright wager. I have Chris Kirk at 70 to one. All the reasons I liked him for a top 40 will remain true here. And I am going to punch one more ticket before this is all said and done. And I haven't made a decision yet where I'm going to go with it is either going to be Ricky Fowler at 70 to one, or I am hoping Daniel Berger ends up drifting to 18 to one. The problem with that is that is going to make a very bulky outright card. I'll end up having about 1.20 units at risk, that is, I usually like to keep it at a unit. So I I would be a little bit overweight on where I would like to be with it. Uh, you know, Fowler obviously keeps me more in that, like 0.82 range with it. But I know that you like both of those guys before you give me your card. Do you have a lean, forget that burgers, obviously more likely to win this tournament at their specific numbers. Do you have a lean between Fowler and burger?
2: Yeah, I, at 16 to one, I'd pass on burger and go to Ricky Fowler. But I, I want that burger ticket 18 to one. I would love it at twenty to one if someone would offer it. But yeah, it's not happening. But yeah, I I, I love Burger this week.
1: He might drift. You never know at this point. Like all the money seems to be coming in on Sung Jay and Louie. And the problem is most of these books don't actually want to uh up the price, they just want to lower people. And then you get these really wonky uh, boards where the hold percentage is way too high with it. Yep. But if there somebody ends up bumping him to 18 to 1, I'm going to probably hold out on this until Wednesday and and make a decision then, but somebody wants to give me 18 to 1, I'm a buyer at that price.
2: Yep, I would love that. If anybody's listening, yeah, let us know.
1: Yeah, we're we're always trying to negotiate with these books as Nick said, like he was trying to get cash out options on different things, not that he's ever going to take <laughs> it, but uh, you know, we're gonna get that relationship with the books that we can just call our own price with it. But what does your card look like for the week, man?
2: Yeah, I followed Chris Kirk seventy to one. That's my guy this week. Uh, I did get Ricky Fowler eighty to one uh, mm-hmm. last night, and that I believe is gone. I think that was some Canby shops that offered that. The few that will allow me to at least make a bet. Brendan Todd hundred to one on points bet. That's just another one of my guys this week. I'm going to conviction play that one. I don't love the odds. I wish it was like 110 range at the least, but uh kh lee 70 to 1 i think this is a sneaky good track for kh lee um he's pretty sharp at all the books that i've looked at so it seems like a lot of people respect him and then i wanted to get one guy that was at least less than 70 to 1 but again this is just a weird card for me i'm not going very high i don't expect to do that well it's more going to be built on you know does chris kirk finish in the top 40 do i do well there but Alex Noren, 35 to one. I thought that was a pretty good price on DraftKings. My model had him at 27 to one. So it really likes Alex Noren. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Chris Kirk, Ricky, Brennan Todd, KH Lee, and Alex Noren.
1: Yeah, Nor- or sorry, not Noren. Uh, Lee, Kirk, Todd. Those three guys are players that at 70 to one or higher than that, they're guys that we sometimes get that price in, in better fields than this. So I think those are really good numbers for this watered down field. They're guys that yes, they can miss the cut, but they shouldn't be $7,500 golfers in some of these spots. Like I think they have a little bit more win equity than that. I, uh, any thoughts on Shane Lowry? I mean, he was kind of my version of Alex Noren that I considered. I didn't end up getting there. Um, it's, I don't think there's any scenario I'm going to end up getting there, but just curious your thoughts on it.
2: No, I, I love Shane Lowry this week, but I just couldn't really find a price that warranted it. I think maybe if anything, if I can get him thirty mid thirties live, I think that's when I jump on him. Because that, that's what I'm going to do at the top of the board. Like I'm I'm waiting for the live market to see if there's any. You know, Berger would be a guy that I hope can start a little bit slow, and I'd I'd buy on him for sure. But other than that, you know, Shane Lowry, and then yeah, I have no interest in Fleetwood like uh, Len was talking about. But yeah, that's that's pretty much my week.
1: That's one of the reasons why I don't want to trap myself in a corner here. Cause once I put in the burger ticket, my outrights for the week would be over and and it doesn't mean I'm not going to do it. If I can get an 18 to one, there's a very high likelihood chance that that is the route I'll go with it. But I, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I always try to talk about on this show is everybody gets so fixated on this idea that all the wagers have to be put in before the tournament. And you're going to want to put it in on the guys that have like immense value to them. And I I think like a, person. Like Kirk is somebody like that for me. I think that if he has a good first day, it wouldn't shock me if he's 20 to one after round one. And all of a sudden you have some value on that ticket, but there are spots where if you leave the card open, you can find value. And, and even on like the in tournament head to heads, like I keep alluding to it throughout the show, but that market for me has been so insane for the last couple of years. And Nick and I keep talking about at some point, like we can't keep running as hot as we're running in all the markets, but you know, we put in a lot of work for this. Like this is not just coming on the show and announcing, you know, four plays or 10 plays that we want to make in some of these spots. Like we are scouting out the board as much as possible. Like I stay up pretty much all night, every single night from Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday to get everything the way that it needs to be. So, uh, you know, if you want to be a better, better, um, one of the ways to do it is just put in the time and research and energy. And that's one of my biggest takeaways. Like, I never tell anybody to directly listen to the picks I give or to the picks Nick gives. In reality, I would like people to listen to our information and make their own educated decision with it. But uh, put in your research. You will see your bankroll grow. When you start beating numbers, when you start getting on top of things, you will see that those little edges that you're able to create really add up over the course of time because the worst thing you can do is blindly tail a play and get the worst of the number on it. That doesn't help anybody.
2: Yep, agreed. Agreed.
1: All right, Nick, I know this was a much quicker show this week than I, well, I guess it's it felt quicker. Right? It, it felt quicker.
2: <laughs> yeah. it did yeah. the
1: Len thing of it made this much longer. I mean, I guess we didn't have much to say. Len was on here for 20 minutes. Obviously. Thank you once again for Len, uh, for showing up and, and Hey, yeah, he'll the
2: fill the again. show. Cause I don't, I don't have shit to talk about this week. I think Go our Chris show, Gordon.
1: I think our show probably would have been the Chris Kirk, I'll say hour, but it would have been 20 minutes and we would have been <laughs> off the air after that with it. But, uh, Obviously we talked about a little bit more than I thought we did with this show going an hour, but is there anybody else that in any market DFS betting, whatever that we missed that you want to talk about?
2: Nope. I got to get to the Arkansas Florida game. Hopefully the Hawks can win.
1: All right. Well, perfect. I will let you get there. Then let everyone know where they can follow you, man.
2: It is at six picks S T I X P I C K S and happy one year to the show. And thanks again for everybody's support. We greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate that.
1: Yes. I doubled down on that. You can find me on Twitter at T off sports. As Nick said, you can follow him at stick picks. Let's try to keep the momentum rolling in Florida. And if you have any questions about the event, be sure to contact us on Twitter. Thank you guys. Once again.